check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to Debate Night in the Afternoon mm. with Brody Smith. I'm Hunter Thomas. Uh, if you're listening on audio, this is our first time attempting to do this show live with live call-ins over the Twitter spaces like we have done in the past, so please bear with us. Also, as I talk through this show, there's a solid chance that my voice may suddenly disappear because we had a, a pretty intense Fall Guys Twitch streaming going on last night. It was my first experience playing Fall Guys. Yeah, I woke up with no phenomenal. voice this morning. Uh, so I have recovered to this point. Um, there's a solid chance my voice will crack and possibly disappear midstream, but we're rolling with it. I think there's a training that you need to do to stream. Well, I think some people are born with it and some aren't. Like the natural ability to scream and not lose their voice? Like I've, ne- I've never lost my voice. Well, that's because you're... That a shocker to you, Your natural <laughs> level of talking is my scream. Yeah. So like I'm... It's, it is what it is. But no, I've, I've had other people that I know that stream that do struggle with their voice of where they're like, I need to protect my voice. They're almost like singers. Yeah, I think I think next time we stream something that I know I'm going to be like yelling at, like Fall Guys, uh, I need to do some like vocal warm-up exercises. Or well, we only stream something. for two hours, too. It was an intense two hours. I know, but imagine doing that for like six hours. I wouldn't have that energy for six hours. Well, I, there's no way I could keep that energy that's up. Why, you know, that's why they're sponsored by Red Bull. That, you start that pounding true. Red Bulls. If but I yes. was downing some Red Bull, I might have been able to keep that energy up. This show will most of the time be at night yes. obviously the name or we, we're gonna have to change the name and that's no it's gonna know. be at night uh we're I think in it's a, gonna be better for people too to be able to call in as well yeah it'll be better all around uh we're in an interesting situation today because brody is in town currently um but you you're leaving we're in leaving. three hours I'm leaving your flight's out in three hours yeah so we're rolling out of the office in about an hour a little over an hour mm-hmm from now so that's why we had to do this in the middle of the day uh also if you're wondering how the call-in system is going to work we do have a phone number set up so that you can call in uh when the time in the when the time in the show uh comes up we will say that number have it on the screen so on and so forth so that anyone's watching live can call in present a debate topic and Mm -hmm. talk directly to brody or myself depending on if you wanted to debate me i'm more of like a moderator facilitator i'll ask you some questions ask brody some questions so we can make sure um the points are all getting across clearly but before we get into that we did have a few topics to talk about quickly just between you and i uh one being the pushback on the janice thrashers Mm mm-hmm so to lay the groundwork a little bit, we had Janice Thrasher's release on our site, on Foundation's site. They were like a smaller circular stamp, um, and it was like Kelsey's silhouette cheering, it said Janice on it. Mm-hmm. We received some pushback, but you know, for us, it was pretty easy to explain, because we just sent Discraft a custom stamp. Anyone could do it. Yeah, well, right now, it's a little bit of a different... We had to do it as a custom run, because Correct. custom stamping is if, still shut down. If you order enough, anyone can do it Correct. eventually. Correct. So we actually put this order in almost last year. It's almost been a full calendar yeah, year. This, this order was a long, long time ago. But regardless, we basically just sent them the artwork the same as the T.I. Swirl Meteors we've done, the same as the T.I. Swirl Undertakers we're about to do. This one was just a, a Janice Thrasher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we did it, we just we explained it to people like, hey, you know, because people came with the same pushback that they had towards Discraft. And we're like, we just sent a stamp in. Like, it's, we could have done it for Connor, our camera guy, Silas, our warehouse Anyone. worker. We just sent a stamp in. Um, and as Discraft in that situation, they as long as obviously nothing is too ridiculous, right? As far as like uh, you know, let's just say PG or higher, yeah. Um, they there's no reason for them not to make money. 
Yeah, because this craft's selling it to us, so it's a guaranteed sale for them. As soon as it's out the door, they yeah. don't care whether they, it we're sells the ones, or not. We're the ones who have to take the risk of Correct. selling it Correct. Uh, in that situation. Fast forward about a month to where we are at now, mm-hmm. um, and Discraft now comes out with uh, their Janus Thrasher. Yes. And they received the same pushback, but they, they couldn't exactly give the same reasoning behind it as us. I don't think they gave any reasoning. They didn't respond to any of it. Correct. But they received the same pushback, which was basically the argument I saw being made was, why are you releasing a disc for an unsponsored player, being mm-hmm. your wife, Kelsey, mm-hmm. uh, instead of for FPO players on your, your team? Mm-hmm. That was basically the pushback that I saw. Um, why don't you go ahead and just kind of give your brief response to that general pushback, and then I'll kind of bring up some questions along it, uh, try to find holes in your argument if there are any. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, I would say it's fair. I mean, there's always going to be people that are going to get upset about products when companies come out with products. People are going to get upset. There's, you're not going to make everyone happy. Um, a couple things I would say is for me personally. If someone, if some company, and the analogy I think I used uh, when talking about this was, uh, I think her name is Saweetie. Is that her name, Connor? Saweetie? There is a Saweetie, yes. You know you know Saweetie? I don't know of her, oh, but okay. I've heard the name. I figured Connor's the music guy, so he would know I've heard the name. So I think it's some female rapper. Okay. And um, she did a collab with McDonald's. Okay. And now there's like the Saweetie meal. And I think they did this with Travis Scott as well. Yes. Back in the day. Right. Um, I'm not a big fan of either one of those artists. I, it's not really going to motivate me to go to eat at McDonald's, but at the same time, I'm not going to be upset with McDonald's. Now that's a little bit different because McDonald's doesn't really sponsor or endorse, uh, like athletes. They don't have a team, if you will, of like people. Um, so when you look on the manufacturer side though, uh, it it is a little bit different, but for me as a consumer, if someone did something and it upset me or I was like, "Eh, I don't like that, I just wouldn't purchase the product. Mm -hmm. Right. But now social media, obviously everyone's going to, you know, shoot out their opinions, which is completely fine. So Going to Discraft, though, specifically with the Janus Thrashers, a couple things. One, the Janus thing is kind of me and Kelsey's thing. Right? You call each other Janus. We call each other Janus. I obviously call her, like, there's more video footage of me calling her Janus, I would say. Um, and then the Thrasher is really her favorite disc. Like, mm-hmm. she absolutely loves throwing it. So it just made sense to put um, a Janus, you know, kind of disc style on the Thrasher. And again, this would never have happened if I wasn't getting messages constantly about people wanting the Janus Thrasher. Yes. Right. And it, it came from our YouTube videos. Every, you know, she was throwing the, the Thrasher and she throws it pretty well with the forehand. And there was just a demand. People started in the Facebook collector group asking me, DMing me, tweeting me about the Janus Thrasher, uh, wanting one. And so that was me then going to Discraft saying, hey, we're thinking about doing a Janus Thrasher. They wanted to get on board because initially I think it was just us with Foundation. We were going to run all the Janus Thrashers. They wanted to get on board with it. And I would say with that, you know, with people getting upset and saying, you know, they need to be supporting their player, the people that they actually endorse more, right, and, and giving them discs and all that stuff, 
I would say them as a business, they probably have a good grasp on who can sell this and who can't sell this necessarily. And I would even go on and saying how a lot of these manufacturers actually do uh, a greater good, if you will, for disc golf because they sponsor um, and you know help a lot of pros stay on tour that probably aren't actually giving them a great return, if that makes sense. Directly, so, yeah. Yeah. So if you're paying someone ten thousand dollars and that helps them stay on tour, you know, if you're doing like eight hundred dollars a month or whatever, there are probably some people that are getting that money that actually probably aren't ever breaking even. They're not bringing in that money back into Discraft um, versus whether it's, you know, actual disc sales or just eyeballs or whatever it may be. So an interesting point that someone brought up that I'm now going to steal as my point is the Janus Thrasher, if you look at it, it actually could benefit from an indirect way FPO players and the way in that way being you know they sold a decent amount of those things that's money coming to discraft the more money discraft makes the more money the profit they have they have they potentially can increase their budget for how much they for how want much they to can spend, spend on players um and and it's just something that you you at home we can all and this is something we can all debate uh you know if they would have made a thousand or two thousand discs for name a player there's a lot of players where those discs probably just sit on the shelf and don't get sold. Um, an interesting th- thing to talk about, though, maybe in the future, is kind of this like uh, the thought. Of, it's not so much a um, will you you prepay? What's that? Presale? Yeah, it's or not pre-order. So, yeah, it's not so much that you could do something where they could make like let's say ten thousand Z Thrashers and then have. 10 different stamps and based off of like a, the stamps, right? Like this might take a little bit longer cause they can't just crank the stamps out, but they could have, they could sell a hundred of this stamp, a hundred of this stamp, 200 of this, 400 of those, and then end up stamping them based off those numbers. Like so print on demand almost kind of to where you don't actually have a situation of where you print out a thousand Hunter Thomas discs and like, five get sold yeah the first day and they're like what are you gonna do now one question i have that i think might help people better understand this as well because this was promoted by discraft but it wasn't sold on discraft's actual site right mm-hmm. it was sold on your site through discraft correct brody smith.discraft had they not ran the janice thrashers what like is there like something where like still let's say it's a thousand would there still have been a thousand other discs put on your site probably like was this your allotment almost being used in a way that like was the Janus Thrashers, if you, if you see what I'm saying, yeah, to where I mean, it's not Discraft wanted, specifically making it for Kelsey, but it's more Discraft making it for you, and you're saying let's put Kelsey stamp on it. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the way that me and Discraft's relationship works right now is like we have probably right now we probably have ten to fifteen different disc stamp ideas. Now, obviously, I don't have my own mold. Yeah. Right? I don't have my own disc, so we have to get a little bit more creative with you know, creating a product that people want. And there are probably right now 10 to 15 different ideas that I have that 
I've either seen from my fans that are saying like, Hey, I would love this stamp or, you know, this, this plastic with this disc and this stamp, we have a bunch of those out right now. And it's just a matter of timing and, you know, getting the, uh, cause another thing is like, I don't know if people know too much of the ins and outs of making discs is if you look at the lineup that Discraft has, they have way more molds than machines. Mm -hmm. So they have to have a schedule of like, this mold is now on the machine. We're making it. So if I want, let's say a Raptor, right. And we have this Raptor set up, a Raptor might not get on the machine for two or three weeks. Yeah. Because they have all these other... They're cycling through the other, other schedule. And so it's like you have to wait three weeks to even have the Raptor on. And at that point, it's just a, it's just a you know, do we even have the ability of creating? I think right now, too, someone said this somewhere, and it, it does make a lot of sense. I think if the demand... Or sorry, if the supply was greater than the demand... So if there were nonstop buzzes, if there yeah. were nonstop zones and thrashers and nukes and everything, right? Where if like any disc you wanted, you could get your hands on somewhere. I don't think there would be an issue because, it, you know, they would be able to just create a bunch of discs. I think the issue right now is people are saying like, hey, you guys, you guys took time to make this disc and we don't even have this disc. We want this disc. And so there is a weird issue right now with how high the demand is for this that I think eventually once the supply catches up to that and all like the normal stock kind of popular discs get brought up to where it's not hard to find. Because right now, so many people, if you want a disc right now, you sometimes have to like buy it like $5, $10 over market price. Yeah, just a stock disc. From someone else yeah. to get it in your in your bag. So I think that also played into it a little no, bit. No, for sure. I just I was just kind of confused by the pushback from, I think it might just have been because I understood the behind the scenes a little bit more because like if it would have been a keep slinging them discs stamp mm. on that thrasher, there would have been, been no pushback. So yeah. to me, I viewed it just as it's another design, mm -hmm. not whereas I think it was more received by the public as... Discraft is making this in support of Kelsey mm. directly, like a Discraft to Kelsey line. Where I saw it as a Discraft to you line, and you being like, "Hey, let's just use these thousand yeah. or two thousand, however many Thrashers with this stamp instead." I yeah. think if it would have been marketed that way, there would have been a lot less pushback. But I think the way it was like presented and marketed, it almost looked like Discraft was like directly supporting and sponsoring Kelsey and making a disc for her when you had like. Missy Gannon went her first pro tour and there was not a disc for her. I think that's kind of the yeah. thing that sat weird with people is it looked like that was happening when in reality, Discraft was just making you a disc that might've been a contract allotment or something like that. I don't know how it all works. Yeah, but there was no, there was no paperwork. There was nothing in between. There's no situation with Kelsey and Discraft. Exactly. Kelsey has no relationship with Discraft. Exactly. Um, so, you know, and Kelsey's not, asking me like hey let's do this this let's do this yeah it was simply again just a fan thing kelsey's been in tons of my videos and people wanted a janice thrasher and you know i've seen tons of people wanting a dark janice disc which mm -hmm. could be a cool kind of dark horse janice like collab um but uh, the disc the disc making in the disc world is just like wild to me because it does feel like at some times where like at what point 
is something worth a disc and at what point is something not worth a disc? And I think the answer is just the demand. Yeah. Like if the demand for a Missy Gannon disc for her winning a tournament was like crazy out the wall. And everyone's DMing disc after asking for it. going nuts, then like they would probably make it. Uh, and I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying like if I was in Discraft shoes, that's how I would have to decide because you can't like if some random person wins, you can't just go out and 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 make a thousand discs and not know if they're going to sell or not. Yeah, that's too much risk. And we've and you guys have seen again, if you go on different retailer sites and stuff like that, you can see players discs still sitting months and months and those are you know two a run of 200 that they maybe did or a run of 500 or whatever and they've just been sitting on shelves for months and months so i i think at the end of the day like when it comes to the crazy world of disc golf of knowing like when should we make a disc and when should we not make a disc i think it literally just comes from you guys the people that are watching this show the fans and and showing the amount of support that you want for it yeah, I, I think that's the only way. Absolutely. All right, so it is time to open up the call lines. Uh, we're going to have the number up on the screen, but if you want to call in with a debate topic that you would like to talk to Brody or myself about, call 434-218-3602. This is where we're crossing our fingers uh, and hoping this, this is where This is where things are going to get interesting. Uh, please call if you have a topic that you think that we will disagree with you on and you want to debate about it um, as much as we appreciate people calling just to say you think that what we just said was dead on, uh, the people at home will definitely appreciate it more and if we you might, uh, want to debate a little bit. And we might also, like, this could potentially, while we're waiting for a call-in, this this could potentially, like, also, you know, we can play around with this format a little bit to yes. where maybe the last, like, 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever, we could do, like, a Q&A where people can call in and ask Hunter, like, questions about this and being like, hey, I just have this disc what's the equivalent to the MVP or people could call in and ask form tips or whatever. Um, but right yes. now, ideally we're looking for people that might have a little bit of a, you know, a different, a differing opinion. And since me and Hunter on here, me and Hunter don't agree on everything. So uh, if I agree with it or and Hunter disagrees or vice versa, we can, we can kind of talk it out that way. So. All right. We got a caller on the line. Oh, they just hung up. They hung oh, up on me. We almost had. They hung up on me. Call back if that was you. I had to. I queued him in, and then they hung up on me. So if you're listening and you're not, you're not really looking. Four three four two one eight three six zero two. Four three four. Call that. We got another one coming in right now. All right, you are live on debate night with Brody and Hunter. Can you uh, state your name and then the debate topic you would like to present? My name is Justice Sander. Justice, um, what can uh, what can we talk to you about today? I'm wondering with you guys, how many mandos do you think should be on a normal course? Ooh, that's a good question. Mandos. So that's again kind of going back to the debate of like a lot of people saying, you know, I want natural OB, right? Like mm-hmm. you hear that all the time. Like I want natural yeah. OB, and for me. Again, I have to compare it to golf because it's the closest thing. There's very few things on a golf course that are natural. A lot of the things on the golf course that you see were literally designed and put in. Like if I don't know, like do do yourself a favor if you're watching this and you have never seen a golf course 
be created before, go and look at like a time lapse of a golf course, like an overview time lapse of a golf course be created. What you'll see okay. is tons and tons of machinery coming in, moving dirt. Like there's no grass. Everything is like, it almost ends up looking like a desert. And then they come in and move dirt around. They seed stuff. It's that the idea that everything is natural is well, I think the point is then it, it looks natural it and looks, when it's done, correct. Whereas a mando, like he brought yeah. up, yes, doesn't exactly look natural when it's done, correct. But where disc golf is right now, I don't think the money is there to where they can just come in and just like completely wipe out a, a, a course essentially or a piece of land to make it. So, to go to your mando question, I think a lot of people go to like the gimmicky talk, right? Of like, oh, that's just too gimmicky and whatnot. I think there's certain things that you can pull off to where it looks clean. So like the triple Mando at USDGC, I don't know what hole that is. Hole seven. Hole seven. Um, The way they have that design where it's like bamboo essentially, it looks, it it doesn't look gimmicky in that way. Um, Now, my opinion, I think a lot of times mandos can be avoided based off of just t placement you know if you adjust the t in a certain way uh yeah it, it will set itself up to where people you know i think the the best the best course where mandos probably need to be either in pl- in place with where the t's were currently or the t's need to be adjusted was the portland open there were probably four holes where the intended line was not thrown and people were basically throwing these wide rollers or whatnot outside the intended line because it was a much more consistent throw and something where um, you're not really going to ever have a situation of where you're going to blow up and hit an early tree. So to me, though, I don't think Mando's look terrible, but I also probably wouldn't want, from a viewer standpoint, I wouldn't want them to have to describe a Mando on every single hole. Yeah, I or think like yeah. half the holes. I think like if you have three or four, that's probably fine. I personally think that there's not a specific number of like you reach five and you have too many Mandos. Yeah. I think it mainly depends on the course and safety concerns of the course. Because a lot of times a Mando is to avoid possibly bringing in like a pedestrian path or something like that. So I don't really think there's a specific number in my mind. I think it just depends on making sure they're not overused and gimmicky. And I think the one that you just talked about, like the safety thing, I think that goes away when disc golf continues to grow and continues to be on disc golf courses versus a disc golf course that was put in a park. Mm -hmm. Because then you don't have these situations. Like we don't want you to throw over this parking lot. Like a parking lot shouldn't be there. You would design it to not be there. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, perfect. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, Appreciate you asking that question. We'll talk to you again later all right so remember call in 434-218-3602 the call line is back open i know we got like seven voicemails in the amount of time that we were on the phone right there oh you have your Uh, voicemail open so people are calling and leaving voicemails you can do that i might listen to them (laughs) later but we're not gonna we're not gonna listen to it on the show yeah so so there is a little bit uh, we don't have i think eventually we could maybe get a a system where we have like hold Mm-hmm. Where, or we can like have people lined up to where it yeah, switches. Connor, Connor could like have five or six people on hold to where right now we immediately have. Oh, we have one. We have another okay. one coming in right now. That's that's future guys. We're working on it. This is the beginning stages. I'm actually just happy the first call worked. Yeah. All right. Welcome in live on debate night with Brody and Hunter. Could you state your name and then what you want to, to dis- what to discuss? 
My name is Blake Vineyard, and I want to discuss the commentary, which y'all talked a little bit about last week. Perfect. Let's hear what's your opinion on it, and uh, hopefully, did, hopefully did, it disagrees I, with. Brody. I did state that I'm not tweeting about commentary. You're not going to tweet about it, but you can talk about it. I on can debate talk night. about debate night. So let's I'm, hear it. Let's hear your take on this. All right. So I partially agree with Brody, and partially don't. And okay. the point that um, the bad breaks and stuff, players rooting or the commentators rooting for the disc. I worked at a golf course for eight and a half years. So I know golf. I've been playing disc golf for about six years. So I know both sides of it. And yes, there is some professionalism of not wanting to uh, cheer for the ball. But I went back because I thought that Brody was a little wrong in saying that golf commentators never cheer for it. But in bad break, they're like, oh, no, sit down, sit down. Get off that car path. Oh, get in the hole. Or no, they actually do do that sometimes. So it's not always professional. Mm -hmm. It happens sometimes. But I agree that there needs to be more professionalism and not cheering as much, but still have some. Yeah, I to answer that, I obviously I've been getting every single uh golf or baseball or whatever sports clip that the you know, the commentators are cheering during the event. I've also gotten a lot of people that send me stuff where they're like getting excited during or after, and that's completely fine. If you want to like if you know, balls rolling to the cup or going, you know, you know, home run looks like it's about to happen, like getting excited and just saying like, it's back, it's back, it's gone. You know, I'm completely fine with that. I think the issue in disc golf is it's way more common. I would say as far as like, uh, those bad breaks or rollaways or, you know, hitting a tree or whatever it may be skipping and going OB that's way more common in disc golf than in other sports. And so I think it kind of goes to Hunter's point of where it's just overused. So if you just, yeah, I I agree. Yeah. So if you just hear it once or twice during commentary, like doing, during a, during a broadcast or whatever, it probably isn't that bad, but if it's something that you're hearing on every single hole, I think that's where it's just like, it gets, it gets too overwhelming. And again, I would also say, the examples that have been sent to me where commentators are rooting for the ball to sit down or are rooting for whatever that, that is such a rarity. It's, it's very uncommon. And, um, I think that's a big deal is like, it's just the frequency of it. Yeah, for sure. All right. I appreciate you calling in Thanks and for calling uh, in, man. bringing up a topic that Brody swore he would never talk about again. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. You have a good one. You too. Now, one thing I will say is we did have a video tweeted at us that had this exact situation in golf. Where, they're saying, where they were saying, down. like, get up, get up, because the ball up. was trying to get onto the green. Um, but you said something when you saw that video because you were sitting next to me. You're like, well, that's still bad commentary. Yeah. And I think that, from what I've... I think I said this a few different times, but like, if I think if you were to come in with the point of it's bad commentary... And left the part of saying it's biased commentary. Mm-hmm. I think a lot more people would have agreed with you. Yeah, because I think I think the bias part is where it was interesting they got because stuck on that people got stuck on the bias side. We have another caller coming in right now. Let's cue him up on the show. 
Hello and welcome in to Debate Night with Brody and Hunter. What's your name and the topic that you would like to discuss? Steven and um, three. I guess you guys can pick up the three. I, the one I want to debate most is Brody's opinion on post-produced versus live and how he believes the sport needs to go more towards live coverage. Heck yeah. And then one was a constructive idea about how live coverage could be improved. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is about like when the rounds are played. So those okay. are the three. If you guys want to pick which one you think would be most interesting, I think the first one's the one I have the most well, let's, like, uh, thoughts on. Let's hit the the last two first because I feel like those could okay. be like 15 seconds, little quick bits, and then yeah, probably. We, can, we can maybe talk a little bit more about the first one. Okay. So the second one would be the easiest to tackle first. Um, so I know I've heard you, and I've tried to be very like uh, positive in the way you're talking about wanting to get live coverage like better. Mm-hmm. Um I'm sure you've seen on like a quality masters production in the PGA tour or any like big major event. Mm -hmm. I love how, or just like, you know, any other major sport you have the main staff or crew and they do the reporting that, you know, Nate Doss, Philo, and I I forget who else was on the panel. um, We're doing maybe with Ian Anderson, I forget um, at the world's, and then you have sideline reporters yes. at like hole 10 and hole 14 and hole 18. And so if there's a lull or if there's a break, you can go, hey, let's go check in with, um, you know, Jay Redding on hole 14. Redding, what are you seeing there? And then he can come and report in. What do you think is the biggest issue with why they're not able to do that yet or why they haven't? Because to me, that seems like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. You're just following the ESPN model. Yes. Um, it seems to me you should – maybe it's just a budget thing. What do you think? So I think a lot of it has to do with actually the internet connections. So um, most, most, we'll just use the PGA Tour as an example because you brought that one up. And I probably know more about that broadcasting than other sports. Whenever they do events, they are bringing their trucks in on site and they're running cable on site. So nothing is done through Wi-Fi or any sort of like internet connection that way, everything is wired. So that's why you never really see too many times during a golf broadcast, you see like cameras going down or, you know, audio, like audio issues. Um, So I think that is the big thing because I did talk to the pro tour at the beginning of the year about having, because if you remember, if you did you watch uh, live coverage last year at all? Probably not. Okay. No. Um. No. Just mostly this year. So basically, just to kind of wrap this up, like they used to like have Terry Miller out on the course, and how they would use him is they would just basically say, "All right, the 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 hole would be over," and they'd be like, "All right, let's go to Terry Miller," and he would basically just tell you exactly what you just saw, which I think is a terrible use of having someone on the ground. So they started implementing what I think is what they were trying to do is, you know, Nate Perkins, um, Christine Jennings, I think, has been out there. Um, trying mm-hmm. to think of someone else. Terry has been out there a couple times. But they're trying to do stuff now where they're up in the booth. They have a hard time seeing what's actually happening. So trying to use someone like that to where, you know, if me and Hunter are in the booth commentating about something – and you know the player is in the woods and and we're not really able to see exactly what's going on that's a perfect time to go and say like all right terry what and and have a conversation instead of like just sending it to terry and he talks for a minute and he sends it back if we could have a conversation back and forth with terry being like terry what do you see down there and then he says something and then i can ask a question and then he responds 
like that now is going to give a lot more information to the viewer at home than me and Hunter just sitting up here and basically trying to think what's going on. So I think a lot of it has to do with the inter internet connection um, and them just not being able to have a, uh, a consistent connection to where they can actually have those conversations. So hopefully down the road uh, that can get that can get cleaned up and they can have, you know, instead of one on-site reporter, you know, maybe have two. Yeah. And so, so that was my constructive topic. Now I want to debate that I don't think live coverage is better or that at least we're not there yet. Uh -huh. um, can I lay out my argument for that? Let's see it. Okay. So I'm going to make my premise being at this point in time, I think post-produce still needs to be viewed as the dominant way to watch disc golf and that we need to continue to push that. So a couple of questions I have for you, because I know you stand more on the live production needs to be a more prominent thing right now. Mm -hmm. um, what numbers do you think like you need to see on a live production like count for like a big sponsor to be uh, able to be interested? Like a million? Is that what we're trying to no. shoot for? I, again, I know no. not. No. If you if you like, I mean, I guess it depends on what you consider a big sponsor. But if you're if you're right. if you're getting like. If you're consistently getting like 50,000 live viewers, like concurrent, right? Not 50,000 over the course of the entire broadcast, but like if you consistently can have 50,000 people watching, that is plenty enough to get multiple. Because I, I think that's the other thing is disc golf, like a lot of people are like, oh, we just need one big sponsor. We, yes, that would be nice if someone did come in and just throw a crap ton of money at it. But you can, instead of like going that route too, you can go the route of like having 10, 12 sponsors, right? Because right now, um, if you are watching a broadcast, you're seeing the same commercials over and over again. They're all disc, they're very disc golf specific companies. And I think, you know, if you get 50,000 eyeballs on live, now all of a sudden, like the amount of money for a commercial goes way up. Right. And so and the amount of money that, it, you know, uh, the the signage and stuff like that at the course goes way up. And and now you're going to start being able to actually talk about real numbers. So I, I a million would be incredible, but that's definitely not what like we can't do anything until we have a million. No, no, no. no. Right. Like, I think if you are hitting 50, you're, you're doing something that's going to let people know, like, oh, man, this is a sport that's growing. We need to maybe try to get in on it early. Right. And then um, a demographics related point, And I want to hear your thoughts on. So I'm curious what you think, like the demographics of like this increased viewership should be. If I'm looking at like the demographic side of it and I'm thinking to myself, OK, people in my age demographic, I'm 26. Mm -hmm. so I'm thinking younger people from like 14 to 30. Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of them. It's not just about money, but I don't see a lot of them thinking, oh, I want to sit down and do live coverage. I've tried to comment on Griplock's like common feed on YouTube to mention this point, um, I feel like people in my generation, the best way they're going to want to enjoy disc golf is whenever the weather's nice. I live in Ohio. The weather's not great all the time of the year. Yeah. I'm going to want to go out on a day when coverage is possibly on and go throw or go be productive and go do something else in my life. I think it's very hard to convince anyone in the younger generation demographic mm -hmm. to say, hey, on a Friday night or a Thursday night or even a Saturday or Sunday night, when, or I should say afternoon, when the weather is at its best, especially in the summer, you should not use that time to go, and not just the disadvantage of disc golf, you should not use that time to go outside. You should be sitting here watching the live coverage. I think it's a tough sell. 
especially when you look at the other sports. It's like, oh, you can watch 7.30, 8 p.m. I know they do it for Sunday football. I just think that's a really tough sell. And when you consider that, I think you get the most young people's eyeballs when you have the main way the content is best on po- post-produced because I can watch it in the morning. I can watch it in the evening. I know you know that, but mm-hmm. I guess just do you have any comments on the demographics and my points I just made there? Uh, I would say we actually were – I don't know if we were talking about this on Grip Locked or not this week. I'm not sure. But uh, I was talking earlier about how right now disc golf, because it's a much smaller sport, the amount of casual fans in disc golf isn't um, – just the number of casual fans and the number of diehard fans is, is incredibly smaller than uh, you know, a sport that you brought up was football, right? Um, right. I would consider myself now with where my life is at, I would consider myself a very casual football fan back when I was in college. You better believe like I was, if I, if I didn't have anything going on as far as like an ultimate Frisbee tournament or anything like that, me and the guys were getting together and sitting down and watching it one, maybe two football games on Sunday. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time I did that. Now, am I watching the playoffs? Yeah. Am I watching the Super Bowl? Yeah. So to me, I'm like the casual fan. And that would I would say that would equate uh, to someone watching the majors in disc golf, right? They're not going right. to watch this weekend at the Stafford Open. They're not going to watch the MVP Open. But they're going to watch USDGC. They're going to watch Worlds. They're going to watch all the majors, right? That describes me. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're watching example. the big events live because you don't want to be left out. Everyone, everyone's watching them live. So if you right. don't watch them live, you feel left out. Um, I would say there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But right now, like because there's so many few fans in the grand scheme of things that the diehard fans, there's not enough of them right now to really make a big splash. Right. That's where mm-hmm. it's like you need to have that 50,000 diehard fans to where every event, you know, you're going to get 50,000 viewers um, where disc golf, I don't think is currently there. So I don't think, you know, changing the mindset of like you to be like, no, man, you need to like every single week, you need to be like sitting down watching live. Like, I don't think that's I don't think I'm going to be able to convince you. Right. It, it, right. it, it won't work. So what for to kind of switch it a little bit, I think what would need to happen, what I still think needs to happen is everything needs to be under the disc golf pro tour umbrella. So that way you are still, you are still consuming post-produce, right? You're still watching the tournaments after the fact, whenever you want, but now it's all under the disc golf pro tour umbrella. That would be the only difference. So on your side, nothing changes. The only difference is instead of, clicking this link, you're clicking this link and you're getting the same product, but it's under the pro tour umbrella. Right. Cause I, I, so I, I will well never, said. I'll never be able to convince you to watch live. I won't like the only way, right. the only way you're going to start watching more is if your life changes and you have the ability to do that. Or if disc golf starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger to where everyone's talking about it so much, to where you feel like if you don't watch it live, it's almost like impo- like it'd be the same thing as like if the Super Bowl is going right, on. Right, FOMO. Yeah. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out, but also like 
Uh, were you saying that you got they on a fridge? You got spoiled. No, sports? I saw it on. Uh, I saw it on like Twitter or something. Oh, okay. Where like someone some- got a their results spoiled by a fridge in Home Depot that just had the news pop up and said yeah. the result of the game. So it's like right now in disc golf, if you don't want to really know what's going on in disc golf, it's pretty easy to just all you have to do is stay off of social media. You can still watch Sports Center. It's like you you can still do a lot of stuff. You still consume a lot of mainstream content, correct? Without disc golf sure. being spoiled, um, and you're probably walking around, and not that many people are going to be talking to you about it. But you know, down the road, there might come a time where like you know something happens, and like it gets bigger and bigger to where your fans, <coughs> your friends rather, are like texting you, like, "Oh my god, dude, can you believe this is happening?" And you're like, "Oh no, man, I'm not watching." So I think that's like the shift eventually as it gets bigger and bigger and more popular, but. Well, the yeah. perfect example of it in disc golf was James Conrad's throw-in, mm-hmm. where I had someone on Twitter respond to, like, I set up this, like, whole scenario that I thought would have been funny if it happened, and the dude was like, that actually happened to me, to where you were waiting for the post-produced coverage, mm-hmm. so they, this, the person didn't watch it live, they sat down in the morning, turned on SportsCenter, because disc golf's never on SportsCenter, watching, watching, it gets to the top plays, gets to the number one play, mm-hmm. and they're like, here's James Conrad's shot. He throws it in, and then like, and he went on to win the world championship. Yeah. So now it got spoiled, and he's like, I can't even watch it post-produced. Yeah. Disc golf and day to day is not at that point, but if it ever was at that point, or you just go on Twitter, or you bump into your friend at work, now you have five times the fans is what you're saying to where yep. now your friend at work, you walk in, you're like, dude, did you see James Conrad's yeah. shot? It becomes a lot harder to avoid uh, the spoilers and all that stuff. Correct. Yeah. So all right. right, and then. And then my final thing, this is just for commentary. You guys don't have to keep me on. Um, last thing, I've seen a lot of it on Instagram. I know this is probably way down the road, but maybe they could do it like once or twice a year on a future Disc Golf Pro Tour event. Brody, I'm sure you've seen, have you seen those Instagram videos with people playing golf at night where the whole course is lit up? Yeah, night golf. Yeah, I think that would be so cool if in the next 10, 20 years, because you know there's going to be more disc golf courses, mm-hmm. if they put a few high-quality, high-caliber ones, and I don't know how people would like the actual like professionals think about playing that, but I think that'd be so cool if the tea time start in the afternoon and then like the final card starts at like eight o'clock. Mm. And by the time they're halfway through the course, they have the night golf. Mm. You'd also be able to pull in more viewers because you, like me, I'd say, sweet, that'd be awesome. Do I want to watch NCAA basketball or do I want to watch a disc golf night round? Like that sounds sick. Now, obviously like construction of course, and there's a lot of other factors, but like if I had the budget, I would definitely make like a night disc golf course and then like try to push that as like a pro tour event. Even if it's only like one and it's a little gimmicky, like, you know, the Field of Dreams baseball event or the, you know, the outdoor hockey event. Like yeah. I still think that's just be like really a cool. one, a one and done type of thing. I mean, I see, yeah. I, I could see that happening on like making a temporary course and having kind of almost like an all star or like a skins match or something like that. That's like a temporary course on a night a night golf course i don't i don't Mm -hmm. i just can't i mean those things are so expensive man those lights and stuff like just i bet i don't i don't see it uh i don't see it being very feasible financially feasible for disc golf to just create something specifically for disc golf now it would be sick obviously um right but you know again this is this is changing the culture of disc golf because right now every disc golfer if you well not every sorry but like most disc golfers if you're like hey it's twenty dollars to play this course they're like i'm not doing that right so that would be where you'd have to probably charge 40 bucks 45 dollars or something like that to play that course to keep it kind of the lights on so true yep no it's just that thank you guys for taking my call love you guys love the show i'll keep listening 
Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thanks for calling in. You have a good rest of your day. All right. I think uh, that last point, it would be like sick to see. It would almost be more feasible just to have it at one of these golf courses already set up. That's literally what I just said. Oh, uh, was I was I blacked out a little bit. <laughs> I blacked out a little bit. Yeah, I said if they set up like a temporary course. At, oh, at the course. At yeah, 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 course yeah, yeah. It's yeah. already set up. Yeah, because I just heard you explaining the forty-five bucks to keep the lights on. I was like, that's never flying. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah exactly. No, that makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it would have to be like a, like a it would have to be like an event to where, um, you know, you can shut down the course for for the night or something. Absolutely, it'd be fun. I mean, I wish in general you could just like film glow golf because like glow golf's so fun disc golf wise. Hmm. But it, that's so hard to film. All right, we got it's one more caller coming in. This will probably be the last caller that we take for the day. Let's get him queued up. You are now live on Debate Night with Brody and Hunter. If you wouldn't mind stating your name and the topic that you would like to discuss. Yes, my name is Philip. Uh, my question is, uh, I know you guys talked a little bit about um, courses last time, and I'd be curious to hear Brody's um, favorite course that he thinks will be played in, say, 20 years. Mm. That's a good one. Um, because now you have to start thinking too about, I think we saw a little bit, of, a little bit of with, uh, a little bit, a little bit with Idlewild, um, of where you just start having like a, I think that was like a little, that was more random than anything. I think with having that many people close bunched at the top, bunched up. Um, but I would also say like, a lot of times those are the most exciting to watch is when you have like four or five people in contention. Um, and one thing that you don't see a lot of times in disc golf right now, and a lot of that has to do with just how you're playing in foursomes instead of twosomes is you don't really see someone go and finish in the clubhouse, like with five holes left for the leaders and they're like, they're winning. Like that's very rare in disc golf. Um, but I think if you start setting up courses a little bit like for, for that to happen, I think that's, I think that's more exciting than just having people run away with it. And there's just like two people that could potentially win on the final day. Um, so with that set being said though, I mean, I think the courses that are private or are separate from the parks are going to be, probably the only courses that are still on tour 20 years from now. So, um, you know, the memorials, obviously that's already off the tour, but some of these courses where you're having to deal more with pedestrians and, and just, you know, random folk kind of just walking through the park cause the park's open. I think you're going to see less and less of that. Um, and then, I would say too, like courses that have a good mixture. So like looking at Idlewild, since that just happened, Idlewild, Idlewild, if you look at it, has a very good mixture of wooded holes and open holes. Mm -hmm. So like hole one, hole two, hole three, hole four, hole fives drive, hole sixes drive. These are all open. Hole 16 is an open hole. Um, So it's not perfectly nine to nine, but it's way more of a mixture than a lot of courses where they're simply just like, Oh, we have like two wooded holes and they're like the iconic holes, or we have one or two open holes. I think you're going to start seeing more courses like that 20 years from now to where it really tests the players both ways. 
and then you can have your you know Northwood Blacks, I guess, where it's like it's a heavily wooded course, and everyone knows like man, this is like a really hard course with just the woods. Or you could have your like Eurekas, where or you know, or USDGC even, where it's more of an open course, um, but more about placement and where your disc is you know landing versus so much the flight. Um, you know, I'm probably not the best person to answer your question, Phil. It's Philip, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably not the best person to answer your question. Cause I honestly haven't played that many courses. Like I'm very interested to see how Maple Hill stacks up. Um, and the two courses for GMC, I think it's uh smugglers notch and Fox, Fox run. run. Yeah. I've heard really great things about those courses. So I'm very curious to get up there and play those. Um, but I think 20 years from now, if everything continues to go forward, I think you're going to see courses that have the ability to actually host events. I think that's the other key thing. If you, if we, you know, separate from the actual play and score separation, all that, it's going to be, do they have a clubhouse? Do they have good parking? Do they have the ability of having five, 10,000 people on the course? Do they, are we able to have good, um, you know, if they're still doing internet, which I don't even know if they would at that point, but all those type of questions of like, can this hold a good event? I think those are going to come into play as well when we're talking about the disc golf pro tour courses. Right. Um, one of the, one of the big things that I was uh, kind of thinking about with this question was uh, difficulty of courses as well. I know you you talked a little bit about there being some courses that are wooded and some courses that are open. Mm-hmm. Um, the changes that were made to say preserve this year, do you feel like those were in the right direction due to the fact that they were getting some into the woods, but they were still allowing for uh, a large amount of spectators? Or yeah. do you feel like that may have kind of detoured from the allure of what the preserve is? No, I mean, I think if I'm looking at it from a business standpoint, you cannot have an event where part of the course is just unviewable, right? Like you just can't, like that just doesn't make any sense. Like Northwoods Blacks, that's a different story because you, um, I don't know if they were able to walk and what, do you know? Certain holes, certain holes they were, certain they weren't. Okay. So like to me, I think that's an immediate like, hey, we need to figure out how to not have that happen right and so if the preserve is is making these wooded holes that might be a little bit more different to where you can actually still have spectators because to me like that's that's where i think it has to go is like if you wanted if you want a quote-unquote wooded hole it almost has to be like on the edge of the wooded property because if you put yourself in the middle of the woods it's it's literally impossible for you to have more than like 50 spectators on that hole because they just get in the way or you're going to be in I mean, also as a spectator, like I don't want to be standing in a thorn bush. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like walking through spider webs. All, the, all these things of where like I'm standing somewhere that wasn't meant for a person to, it uh, wasn't meant for a spectator stand. So yeah, you bring up the preserve. I think they have a huge advantage because kale owns all that land so he's not answering to anyone of where it's like if he wants something done 
it gets done versus having to go through and say like, Hey, I want to cut this tree down or, Hey, I want to add a lake here or, Hey, I want to do this. Um, it sounds like he's able to kind of make those decisions and they get done. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to kind of see how that transfer, uh, transforms down the road. But like hole 17, for example, I don't know if that hole existed last year. Do you know if that Philip, do you know if hole 17 was the same hole as last year? I'm not 100% sure. Okay. I it's, feel like it wasn't, but I could be wrong. Okay. It's the short, for those that don't know, it's the short, like 260 foot wooded uh, tunnel shot. So, but if I'm looking at that hole, you could set up bleachers all down the right hand side. Mm-hmm. And no matter where you're sitting, you're going to be able to get a view of it. So it's a wooded hole, but it's not like you're in Waco, where if you get off the 10 15 foot fairway in Waco you're just in no man's land yeah where it's just good luck so yeah I I think I think going that direction I think that's going to be crucial because again for any sport to be successful as a business you got to be able to put the fans first in the sense of like you got to have it to where spectators are showing up they feel like they're at an event and they're leaving going like that was a well-run event versus like, man, my, my all my legs are just sliced because I was just walking through thorn bushes. Sure. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, it's an honor to speak to you guys. Heck yeah, man. Thanks for calling. Appreciate in. it. You have a good rest of your day. Oh, Kale's you leasing. Too. Kale's leasing the land. So Yeah, I saw that as well. I'm curious what that. I think one thing that we do definitely have to take into account as we look at the future of the sport um, especially he was he was talking 20 years in advance. Um, yeah, it's so far. Is, it's like, who knows? You brought up spectators. I think you also brought up, brought up like the difficulty of the course. It's going to be harder and harder to find that right balance because the woods is almost the ideal way to do it. Mm-hmm. Northwoods Black, I think, challenged the players the most. But like you were saying, it's like the worst case scenario for spectators a lot of times because you can't go in and see certain holes. Yeah. Uh, it's also not, there's not like pads. You almost have to start, if you're designing a course for the Pro Tour, you almost have to just start designing spectator paths as well that mm. don't take away from the course, but allow the spectators to be in the rough or somewhere to where they're comfortable, but it doesn't change the fact. Like a great example, I think, was at Idlewild on that par 416. What they did is they left a little bit of the rough mm-hmm. uh, where it was OB, but then mm-hmm. on maybe 10 feet in, they cut a massive path that wasn't mm-hmm. there when we were there last year. And that massive path allowed the spectators to be completely out of play. They don't have to walk in high grass, but they're not walking in grass up to their waist. Yeah. So they were allowed to. See, they were able to see the shots coming in, even over their heads, and be a part of that moment, be a part of that hole without distracting players and without taking away from the course. So, and it was like a planned thing of this is where the spectators are going to be. So I think almost for disc golf, a way of thinking about it is almost like it's the inversion. Inversion, the invert, might be the invert of a golf course. So there obviously are link styles where there's like no trees. But for the courses that have trees, the play of where the players are or where there are no trees, right? And then the rough and like kind of where the fans stand are normally where the trees are. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you're trying to design a disc golf course that – has trees and has that wooded feel it needs to be the invert is it the inversion that's i think the invert is the 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 right invert to where the opposite the opposite that's the easiest way now the players are in the trees Mm -hmm. and the fans are like in the fairways if you will 
to where they're not having to be in all the crap. The hard part of that, though, is one of the things that makes wooded golf so good, I feel like, is the rough. Like, you get a kick into the right, and you're Mm -hmm. five feet in, you're going to be able to scramble. You're 10 feet in, you're screwed. You know what I mean, like that. But like, you could still, you could still theoretically have that. But you'd have to have the spectators on the outside of it, mm-hmm. to where they might be looking through fifty trees to get to the fairway. Yeah. So like at some point you're getting it where if you kick far enough right, you're mm-hmm. in, you're open, you're in the opening. Well, you'd so it's have almost to, like you as have a to player, make that OB. Yeah. You'd have to make it to where it's like if you get outside of it, but it's a it's I mean it's a fickle thing because I know. If you're trying to see guys really, and Northwood Blacks did this. If you watched Ledgestone, uh, not so much Idlewild, but if you watched Ledgestone, when guys got off the fairways there, there were they were taking weird stances. They had like stuff in their arm swing, and and it really forced them to have to throw shots that they aren't comfortable throwing. Mm-hmm. Where if you go in there and you clean all that up then it's like it probably gets a lot easier for those people to just throw a shot out of that. Exactly. Of yeah. those. So it's like it's a give and take because at a certain point, it's like do we really want players to be in thorn bushes and like having to deal with that? But then it's like are we going to make it too easy if we take that element out of it? It's a, it's a tough one to say. It's definitely something that I think as disc golf grows over the next, I would say, more five to ten years, um, there will be those growing pains of figuring out the ways to allow spectators on the course um, and allow spectators to have a great experience and feel mm-hmm. like the ticket value that they're paying is worth it without taking away the players. Because there's going to be some events where it's like focused so much on spectators that the players are like, this course got way worse. There's going to be other events where the spectators show up and are like, that sucked. I only watched eight holes of golf. And then eventually they're going to find that happy medium. But we're just in a point in disc golf with a lot of stuff. I think the coverage, the Everyone, events, it's just, it's, you we're so work young. it out. Yeah, yeah you, you got to make mistakes to figure out what works. Yeah, and I, I would say, I, I know I don't want to talk about commentary, but I will say this: like <clears throat> people say, it takes time and it takes time. You got to give it time. Yes, clearly, we're not saying things need to be fixed like immediately. But if you're not working towards that, like we were talking about, where you trial and error, trying new stuff out. Like they're trying this three people in the booth situation. Like, yeah. Is that working? Is it better with two? Like they're trying to do different things as well uh, with the commentary and the production and everything. And I think that's key for you to grow, for you to figure out what works. You know, even this, like we did the first two podcasts of this were completely different than this podcast, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're trying the live out. We're going to see how you guys, you know, let us know too uh, if you liked it live more than um, what we were doing before. Um, I thought the call-ins worked well. Yeah, I think it seemed to work pretty well. But like a- everyone's doing it, and I think the companies that get left behind, the businesses that kind of go out of business, are the ones that are too slow. They refuse to change. They refuse to change, or they're like, "We have time. Like, give us time." And it's like, if you're not showing that you're trying to get better, you know, people are just gonna. I will say that is one thing with the pro tour that I think is a very positive thing is the, which you might think this is a negative, but maybe this is something we bring up on the next, uh, next week's show. But I, I think I view it as a positive that the pro tour is being slow and methodical with their steps and not doing anything drastic. Cause I think that they're learning from previous mistakes Mm. when Steve Dodge owned the pro tour back in 2016, where he jumped the gun too fast and he made not rash decisions. They were 
the right decision for the long haul of the sport, but he made them too quick mm-hmm. to where us as fans kind of got left in the dust or confused and upset. Whereas if you do a slow progressive change, I think though, it allows the sport to transition into new a new era together versus one part running and the other parts being left behind. And I think that's called I think that caused more problems than it caused good back in the day. And I think that that Pro Tour is doing a good job of slowly yeah. transitioning these things now. The only thing I'll say is I wasn't around then, so I don't know. But all I can you know talk about is what I've heard, and I heard that the production was terrible. It was. And so they went from having a product and then that's what they're used to. And then it's like, okay, we're going to make big changes and then it's worse. That's where I think you can't, you can't do that. You can't have something where it just drastically gets worse. Um, I, I don't think that was a part of the problem though. You think it was a lot part of, of it? I think that was a part of the problem because I think we should discuss this maybe next okay. week some. But we'll, I think we'll a, save this. Yeah. We'll save this. I think a big part was the quickness and rashness of it to where people, a lot of people who were complaining didn't even watch the product to complain about the product. Ah, they were I complaining see. about the decision before they even got to the product. But maybe, I think that's a good question that we can maybe discuss last week is if the transition from post, mainly being consumed post to live happens, what the best process to do that is. Mm. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning in. If you're listening here live on YouTube, we really appreciate it. Be sure to leave us a comment. Even if you're watching this on YouTube later, leave us a comment. And let us know what you think of this format of the show. If you like it, if you hate it, if you think we should do something different. If you're listening over on Apple Podcasts, we really appreciate you leaving us a review uh, and giving us feedback that way. Do we have like well. a, do we have a written review yet? Has there I been haven't one? checked. I know there's been some that have left reviews. There's been like some stars, I thought. Here's but. what we'll do. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening to this we'll episode. And we will start off next week's show by picking one of them and reading them. Maybe we'll pick a trash one. Maybe it'll be a one star that's just making fun of us and we'll find it fun. I mean, we're right now seven. We've got seven ratings. So drop drop a rating over on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, that really helps us out. It helps us to understand if you like the show, if you hate the show, and changes that we can make. Uh, also, I appreciate you putting up with my voice for this episode. I felt like I didn't have too many voice cracks we from need it, some but tr- we need some training. I need some vocal exercises before I do a Twitch stream where I'm yelling at the camera. Also, Grip Locked, for those watching live, is about to drop. And if you're not watching live, it's you already should, out. You should, it's already out. Tune in to Grip Locked. It's another one of the podcasts that we have over here. Yeah, we really appreciate it, and we will talk to you all next week. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys.